What's up, everybody? Eric Stanglin here. Welcome to Mixtapes. My next guest is a Canadian music journalist who, in my opinion, is the encyclopedia when it comes to hard rock and heavy metal. He's also the senior editor and co-founder of Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles, and his latest book is called ACDC of 50. Honored to have him on the show today, Mr. Martin Popoff. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, doing good. Looking forward to this, Eric. Absolutely, man. Me too. I got to ask, and, and I want to say, you know, on actual air, Black Sabbath Sabotage. Yeah. Amazing record. It's one of your favorites, one of my favorites. Just putting it out there for the Sabbath fans. I know yeah. I get a lot of a lot of hate for it, saying, "Oh, how's the paranoid not your favorite?" It's and that, but me love and Martin it to love. death. You know, it's it's almost like uh, you know, if if Rush didn't uh, you know invent progressive metal, and if King Crimson didn't invent progressive metal, Sabotage invents progressive metal. You know, that's a great that's a great answer. Megalomania, The Writ. I mean, that stuff is was so ahead of its time in '75. Uh, I want to ask you, what was your first music memory? And what I mean by that is the first music memory you remember that wanted to get you involved with music. You know what? Uh, this is a funny one because I've heard uh, two or three other people say this, but Puff the Magic Dragon. Nice. Um, but past that, um, I remember the Columbia Record Club and and getting uh, like, a, like a Three Dog Night Live and a CCR Pendulum and a Steppenwolf Gold. Um, you know, and not realizing, you know, liking them, but not, you know, they weren't heavy, um, but yet realizing that there was a there was a thread of heaviness in there. And that was extreme vocals. So you heard you heard vocalists who were extreme and then and then something tweaked, you know, a, a little bit of a combination of older cousins and friends, uh, you know, older brothers of friends. And uh, and very quickly after that, it was into the likes of uh, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Nazareth, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, so I would say by about nine years old for me, which would be 1972, 72, 73, I was I was fully dialed in, getting the magazines, get getting the new releases, all that sort of stuff. Definitely by 10 years old, I was well on my way. Man, that's awesome. And it's, it's funny, too, like having those older cousins or brothers makes such a difference in, in escaping your musical landscape of, of stuff you listen to. Did you want to start playing music right after that or did you end up getting... Uh, did you end up getting a guitar or a drum set shortly after? Do you have to beg the parents? What happened there? Yes, uh, I would say a little bit, 76, 77, 78. Uh, definitely had a drum set by that point. Um, there were always, you know, guitar and bass kicking around and I would plunk away. And later on, I would plunk away more seriously on guitar and bass, but definitely drums. And drums was the only thing that I ever actually, you know, was paid money to play, you know, like we had our very brief bar band called Torque in nice. about uh, 83 or 84. I can't remember, but, uh, but we played the bars and we played a biker party where they cooked a baby bear cub on a spit. Whoa. And we played outside and the entire town could hear us. It was crazy. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, drums was the only thing that I actually, you know, went a little farther with kind of thing, but never what? recorded with anybody or anything like that. What, uh, what were you guys doing covers or originals or both or just, just covers. Yeah. I mean, the, the odd guy had had, you know, the workings of the odd original, but it was basically, uh, you know, uh, boy, weird stuff. Some some budgie and uh, oh, cool. UFO rock bottom and Max Webster hangover and off of Eliminator, which was the big album at the time. We we would only play the two heaviest songs. So it was uh, I got the six and bad girl off of that. And Quiet Riot, Priest, that kind of stuff. Okay, great. Just, I mean, your classic rock and metal, man. That's awesome. Um, when did you know you wanted to write about music? 
Yeah, it never really dawned on me for years and years and years. Uh, I did a, an independently produced uh, my first book uh, called Riff Kills Man, 25 Years of Recorded Hard Rock and Heavy Metal. And that was just a book of 1942 record reviews. And I think what got me down that path is that it was kind of fun writing reviews. I wasn't writing for anybody at that point. But I just remember the main thought was, organizing all these thoughts in my head, these chronologies of albums, this this guitarist went to that band, just just getting all this history down that nobody was writing about. You know, back then, there weren't a lot of rock books uh, and there definitely weren't a lot of heavy metal type rock books. So it was uh, it was it felt like it was an underserved market. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember it, it just felt like um, the main reason was to uh, was this organizing principle of getting all this crazy trivia that's been in my head for 20 years or whatever, uh, you know, onto paper. So 93, I was 30 years old at that point. Never crossed my mind until I did that book. Wow, that's amazing. It, you know, I'm, I'm curious about the review stuff because I know I've definitely purchased that book, the second book, the revision. Yeah. And uh, I was wondering, I had a couple questions, if you don't mind me asking them. Number one, when you're writing reviews, are you doing it just straight from your head, remembering the record? Or are you listening to the record again as you're getting ready to write the review? Well, actually, uh, it's an interesting question. I've never been asked that. But many, many, many of the reviews in that first book, I would say half of them or a third of them, I, I did not need to listen to anything again. So I would write them on vacation away from any stereos, you know, so that kind of thing. Right. So a lot of them were that way. And a lot of them, I would, I would definitely listen back and listen for things. Um, yeah, because that, that allows you to like check out, you know, very specific things about production or guitar or whatever, read the credits or that. But yeah, so many of those reviews, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, many, many of them, I, I was not, you know, did not need to go back to the album again. Just because you're such a fan, you've listened to it so many times, yeah. you know it like the back of your hand. Um, did you find when when you did the revision, right, um, and you added a ton of reviews, more albums, did you end up going back and rewriting any of your past reviews? Like, let's say, for example, let's just pull one off the top of my head. Like, like let's say back in black, right? Because we're going to talk about your ACDC yeah. book in a second. Did you go back and 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 look at what you wrote the first time and go, you know what? I kind of feel stronger about this record than I did before. Or you know what? Maybe this record didn't hold up as well as I thought it did. Did any of that any of that happen to you? When oh, you were absolutely. The the worst thing was just being so embarrassed by the old writing and thinking the writing was terrible. So it was more like, it was not really, in most cases, it wasn't like a new opinion on the album. It was like, how do I patch up this writing, right? So I, I basically spent more time probably patching up every review in that to, to you know, when the 97 book came out, which was still all decades. And yeah. then even again, that review book was busted into a 70s book, an 80s book, a 90s book, and a 2000s book that I wrote with a buddy, which is 600,000 words, that thing. like the, wow. the So there's four volumes now that it's busted into, but every single time was just this belabored, cranky patch-up process of writing that I hated. And it's like, you know, at 30 years old, you know, I, I had a, a BA in English and an MBA and I was 30, but I was a terrible writer. You know, and and I still felt terrible when it came out in 97, because when I revised them five or six or seven years after that, it still seemed really bad. So I'm still embarrassed by the writing in all of those reviews books. That's funny, because it's like I always feel like as artists, like I'm, I'm a guitar player, musician, I always feel like we're our own worst critics. 
You know what I mean? Because I remember reading your books and just going, this is, I mean, I remember going to like Barnes and Noble and like flipping through it and going, this is so cool. Like someone's writing about stuff that I'm really interested in and writing in a way that, you know, kind of speaks to me. You know, uh, like for example, the new Rolling Stone, um, I'm sure someone's talked to you about it or if you read it, the 100 greatest metal songs mm-hmm. to me is just like, man, what are they doing? Um, but I didn't get that from reading, reading your reviews. I really enjoyed them because I was like, yeah, this guy's like, spot on and i felt it's because you love the music so you're invested in it right so it almost doesn't feel like a job you're just doing it because like you said you wanted to have this like the trivia the chronological order everything kind of organized for for people like me fans of of hard rock and metal where we could have that like i called you an encyclopedia man like because that's kind of how i feel how you are you really have a great knowledge of that can you let the listeners know what goes into writing a book in general? Because you've written so many books. I mean, I don't think people understand how hard it is to write a book, like how much how much time it takes, planning it together, almost like putting a record together, right? So can you give listeners an idea of how you get into the frame of mind to write a book, whether it's about Deep Purple or Black Sabbath or, or yeah, even a new book about ACDC? Yeah, there's so many different formats. Um, but, you know, one bit of advice that I, I really like to give people is like once you get down to it, s- stick with it. Like don't let days and days go by before you go back to it, because then you have to just like relearn everything all over again. So once you get into it, just get moving and def- definitely dedicate, you know, two, three, four hours a day to it until you get the thing done. Um, so, yeah, a lot goes into it. I mean, um, you know, the standard type. So I've done 115 books at this point. Wow. And I would say the standard type is is the band biography. Right. So I've got maybe 50 of those. And so those it's like a, like an, there's an organizing principle of getting all the interviews and the research in place and popping popping it into chapters and having big 24 point bold, you know, for all the songs and then popping quotes in all over the place. And I have I have the other little tips and tricks are like when you have an interview file, save the file. And then save save it and then put chop in caps, cap letters after and then use the chop file to to transfer quotes to where you want to put them in the book. So it dwindles down satisfyingly to nothing. And then, you know, you've used everything and you've used everything only once because you you removed it. You didn't copy, you cut right uh, to move it sort of thing. So there's various ways, um, you know, and and um, this publisher that this ACDC book is with, they have they've had geez, three or four different formats that they they came up with um, to, to say, we want, you know, we want a book on this about this band. Can you do this book? And so a lot of books I've done for this publisher, I couldn't do a band biography on because I haven't interviewed them enough. Um, but then a lot of the things like I did Bowie at 75, right? I mean, I've never interviewed David Bowie, but it was the format was 75 career highlights. I can I can do that. I'm a I'm a huge Bowie fan. So that's really cool when I get to be able to do a book on a band because, hey, they they have a format for me that that I can do, which has got to be nice. Right. It's just plug and play. And then you get to get creative with it. Uh, When you're doing biographies, when you're first starting off doing them, how hard was it to get interviews? Because a lot of times people will be in your way roadblock wise in terms of like, well, it's not you know, we don't authorize this or it's not our autobiography. Is it, was it difficult to get interviews with people like um, certain band members or did you feel like you couldn't tell the story unless you had a decent amount of personal interviews with, with people in the band? Yeah. So, so the big, the big 
fortunate thing that happened is I'm only really doing this because I already have the interviews. So, so because I was doing brave words and bloody knuckles, and there were a lot of rock magazines at the time and websites were coming up starting in 96 say, um, but basically because I'm interviewing people all the time for, for, for the magazine, you know, after a while, some of my favorite bands, I'm looking and going, Hey, I've, I've talked to these guys 10, 15, 20 times. Right. And then you get a few other members and a few other members. Uh, and, and cause generally, obviously when you're doing it for the magazine, you definitely have to talk about the current stuff for that. But, you know, I, I would mix it, mix and match and you'd get the archival stuff as well. So as I went along, I just, um, like I'll only write a book on a band, that kind of book, if I do have a bunch of my own interview stuff, but then so soon as you pass that threshold, which I used to say, you know, 25 different band members or 25 interviews related to this band. Okay, go. It's, it's, you know, I've got enough now. Then you go to the magazines and get other quotes and then you get some other players and some producers and some album cover artists and you talk to them. Um, and, and you just put it together. I mean, none of these things, um, maybe one or two along the way, but you know, most are not authorized. They're not, they're not the autobiography. They're a biography by someone. So you just go ahead and do it kind of thing. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not there to do malice or, or cause any problems or whatever. It's it's I'm, I'm approaching it as a fan, right? But that my main way and my only way to do these biographies is, is I want to talk about every album, every song, the album cover art, you know, the, the, the production on it, little bit on the tour or whatever. So I have this method that I go through, you know, one album per chapter usually uh, with these things. So it's, and then I notice a lot of other rock book writers want to write about a totally, you know, approach it a totally different way. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I like to do. And, uh, and like I say, uh, it's because I've, you know, I've, I've done about 1800 interviews over, over time. And, uh, yeah, once, once you get going on it, then you, then you start looking for these other guys and some say yes. And some say no. Let, let me ask you this. We, you mentioned the internet and obviously the internet has turned into something insane from back in the early days of the internet. Did you do any, uh, research on like fan sites for any recent books, getting information that way of finding different interviews or, or players, not players, but like maybe like an executive producer that no one knew was really the producer on the record or, or things like that. Did you use any of those? Definitely fan sites. Fan sites seem to be something that has fallen a, a little bit away over the years. Right. Uh, it's, they seem to be bigger before. Um, but generally speaking, the idea uh, out there is that many fan sites are better than the official site because the official site is corporate. It's maybe put together by the label. It's designed just to sell the current thing. There's there's not a lot of so. So one great example is is tour date archives. Right. Or better yet, for a book writer interview archives right, right. Uh, you know magazine archives some bands have you know all the magazine articles that you know rush is a great one for that right uh, you know there's some meticulous rush fans who have done some amazing rush sites that have all that stuff available so all that stuff's usually better on those sites on a really really solid fan site than the official site but i have noticed over the years i think it, it seems like um because it's a whole lot of work for the fan to do this. It's and and you know I do, I bet they don't get a lot of gratitude from the band either for it, right? So so they put in all this effort, but you know you usually the stuff stays around and and I suppose it 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 builds slowly builds. But I just feel like 10, 15 years ago, maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but it just seemed like um, fan sites were more prevalent and and more well kept up than they are now. 
I don't disagree with you. I think Facebook kind of hurt that because then you had everybody putting fan sites up on Facebook and then you'd have people that would really put the work in and people that wouldn't put the work in. I think everything got convoluted to the point where like you didn't have that one specific one you could go to. I'm a big Randy Rhodes fan and uh, you know, he had such a short life that there's so much that's not known about him. There's not a lot of video on him and stuff like that. And the fan sites, it was amazing how they go, that tour date didn't exist. That got rescheduled. Or here's some pictures of this. And I talked to this person who was his best friend, and he gave me these pictures of these things. And you're right. It's not a corporate thing. So it becomes this, to me, it's like an onion. And you just keep pulling back the layers. And, and it, it, the rabbit hole you can fall down is insane on learning about your favorite artists or for me guitar players because i'm a guitar player and it's I, I do agree with you though it's harder to find just a website because i think everything's so funneled through facebook nowadays when it when it comes to that but i'm glad that you use the fan sites because you know they do offer a lot um let's talk about the new book uh it's amazing i wanted to say the presentation is beautiful and it reminds me of like a great box set without the music um i think the fan fans of the band are going to absolutely love it um I loved going through it and seeing, you know, for example, you talk all the way through the Axl Rose part of ACDC, which I thought was cool. I love how fair you were about talking about him. I love at the end of the book how each album's represented with the picture of the album and, and some of the notes on the album, which I thought was awesome. Um, how hard was it just to have 50 chapters on this band that's so iconic? Yeah, so this this is a concept that came from the publisher. I love working with this publisher, Steve Roth over there and Dennis Pernu. De Dennis is my editor, and he does such a good job of finding all those yummy pictures throughout and really being thoughtful about what which ones to put in and, and you know, making sure that they have meaning to them uh, per, per thing. Um, but this this was a concept of theirs. And like I say, I, I already did a Bowie at 75. Um you know, based on his, on what would have been his 75th birthday. Um, but yeah, so, so the funnest part is, uh, is, you know, getting the deal to do it. Oh yeah, this is really cool. I get to, I get to write this book. Um, but then um, the next funnest part actually for me is coming up with those 50 highlights. So yeah, the idea um, is uh, we want you to write about 50 career highlights. Here's your word count, do the math, work it all out. We want a couple of sidebars. We want to do a timeline. You got to do an introduction. So, you know, I, I go away, I squirrel away and work out the math on a calculator and stuff and see how much, you know, word count I have. Um, but then come up with the 50 and then, you know, I open a word doc and just start popping things into place, uh, you know, and, oh, geez, I'm only at 35 or, uh, okay, now I'm at, now I'm at 60 and I've got to knock 10 of them out and perhaps I'll run this past Dennis, see which 10 he'd like to remove, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, and there's always the corollary that we want to, we want to have every studio album as an entry. So there's that right off the bat. So you skeleton in those. Uh, and then there's not that many live albums. So you put those in and then there's obviously huge events. You put those in and then you think about what else to put in. And sometimes at their end, you know, Dennis is one to talk about, you know, he thinks about, uh, you know, for, for the last few that we maybe debate and go over, you know, he thinks about what he can get good pictures for and not right. Um, you know, sometimes uh, he's told me over the years that, you know, it's, it's hard to get, uh, get rights to uh, and even fine period pictures for, oh, we showed up on the Mike Douglas show or whatever. We were on Dinah Shore or, or uh, Dick Cavett or something, right? Um, 
because then then you're involved with uh, the studio and sometimes the band and all this and you can't get pictures etc so no it's 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 fun coming up with the 50 i i like that whole thing and then you just start picking away at it and uh and and it's nice writing books where something's compartmentalized like that right it's yes, like sir. okay so today i'm just gonna think about monsters of rock 1984 and that's it right you know start finish get it done it's it's off my plate pop it into place and, and move on so uh so yeah you're right this this is a book that uh it's it's a beautiful they do super nice uh designs presentations and uh and i like these sorts of books that are almost like um you know books like you say you know really nice set of liner notes without without the uh the music yeah absolutely and the 84 monsters of rock that was with van halen right where ACDC, I think, I think played. So, yeah. I think Van Halen played before ACDC, which I thought was pretty interesting. Is there a, a specific time period of ACDC that you really enjoy the most? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm really boring in this uh, respect, and I even we went on and did a. Um, I, I go on uh, Pete Pardo's Sea of Tranquility uh, video channel every Friday morning. We did an episode about really falling into a timeline all the time with bands. And I'm so predictable that for most bands, my favorite period is, is 76 to 79 kind of thing, because I guess that's when I was 16. Right. Um, but with ACDC, it falls into that as well. My favorite ACDC album is power age by a long shot, not by a long shot. I'd say by a little bit over highway to hell. So I'd go power age. Then I'd go highway to hell. Then I'd go flick of the switch. I just love that's my favorite Brian Johnson album, obviously, because it's, uh, you know, my, my, my third pick here. Um, but, um, I just, I love the heaviness and the rawness of it. I, I think it was a great bounce back after for those about to rock. I love back in black as well, but, uh, th those are my top three, uh, for sure. Nice. And, and I'm a little bit younger than you. And, and that time period you said is my favorite too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I really do like, I like the Bon era better personally. I just, I like just the, what his delivery more. Um, but they've had such a, you know, storied career where, I mean, I don't want to say they had three singers because of Axel, but, you know, two distinct singers, big careers. Um, the one thing I do like about the book also is, you know, I think a lot of people discovered ACDC, obviously, when they first came out. And then Back in Black was huge, right? And MTV era helped them out. Um, definitely where I found them when I was younger. And then... You have Thunderstruck and then the whole Guitar Hero thing, you know, in YouTube where they get new fans again. But this book's so cool because you actually can fill in the gaps of stuff you don't know and you can find, you know, like for me, I remember, um, oh, my God, uh, what was the, oh, what is the record? I can't think. The record before Thunderstruck, uh, not Thunderstruck. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm like such an uh, idiot Razor's right now. Edge. So thank the one before is blow up your video. Yes. Thank you. And, and I remember how that one didn't do so hot. And I remember that the next record, Racers Edge, really was their comeback album again. If you think about it, come back from Back yeah. in Black, you know what I mean? Yeah. Losing losing Bon Scott. And then, so it was really cool to just kind of go through the book and revisit that time period from when I was a young kid, you know, buying that record and going, I don't really like this record. And then getting Racers Edge and going, okay, yeah, this is, I really dig this. And it was cool to, Kind of have you fill in the gaps for me. I thought that was neat. And then the visual side with that, uh, amazing. How long did it take you to write this book, if you don't mind me asking? 
Oh boy. Um, you know, the nice thing is these, these aren't super, you know, high word counts. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of books routinely that are a hundred or 120,000 words, but this, what did we have on this? I don't know. I think it's around the 50,000 mark. So, um, you know, you just pick away at it over time. So there's the overtime, how long did it take you? And there's how many hours do you think it actually took you? And, you know, I, I can't, there's, there's no way it took me more than a month of hours. Um, nice. And over time, over time, it was probably three or four months, right? But you're putting out fires, doing all other things. You know, my, my, the, the main income of my income every year is being a mail order guy of my own books, right? Oh. So I'm signing them and shipping them out, PayPal buttons, all that stuff. I keep, I keep stock and buy stock of every single book that's in print. And, and so I'm doing mail order all the time. So, and, and you, you get little magazine or website assignments along the way. And then, yo, you got to start another book. It's got this deadline. So sometimes there's two or three things going at once, but you know, you, you, you basically, like I say, you, you want to get down to, you want to get down to just, just keeping this thing in mind and, and knocking off. I would try to knock off, you know, two entries a day, three entries, four, three entries was a good, good solid day. I felt I could slack if I knocked off three entries in a day right nice. uh, sort of thing and you're just looking at the word count and you know a lot of the challenge with with a format like this is is uh trying to just to take a story that naturally would probably take 2000 words and knock it down to 500 right right um, like what do you leave out right and cuz every time you're leaving stuff out you're you're beating yourself up saying oh this is not obviously this is not the whole story uh, this is not even a good version of it it's just a summary you wish you could say more but you can't because you have a certain word count for it which is an interesting challenge right so when you write your books your biographies that you don't have limitations on where you can write as many words as you want to um, do you find that they become easier the more you write them like have you do you have kind of like you got it down to a science now where, where in the beginning, I'm sure like, so for example, the first book biography you wrote, you remember how long that took you to write by chance? Yeah, it took a long time. So that would have been either the first deep purple and the second deep purple, which are, are badly in need of updates. And the bluish occult was early as well. But what I've started to do is with the biographies, um, I kind of do a rough word count thing and figure out, can I bust this into two books? So I've taken old books and busted them into two. My UFO story is now two books. My Black Sabbath story is now two books. Priest, two books. Thin Lizzy uh, was three books, and now it's two books through the, the long story. Like, like we changed the, you know, it's now through a publisher, and he wanted to, to, to rejig the thing a little. But uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, the Rush trilogy is uh, is three books, right? So I've got the, the three big, you know, rush anthem limelight driven which are three big books they're they're all all of those are like 120,000 each so they're they're like 360,000 so yeah the nice thing is is when i'm doing these biographies it's like oh man is it one thick book how much do i need to add to make it two books can it go three books right sort of thing so that that's that's what i like doing too and it probably just depends on the the career right when you have a band like rush you know from 74 until you know, the early 2000s, what, 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in that range, you know, up until Neil's death. I mean, that's a lot of information, right? And they put out, they put out albums. They weren't like putting out, like a Def Leppard putting out an album every five years. I mean, they were, yeah. they were pretty active for a, a decent amount of their career. Was there anything um, that you learned from writing this ACDC book that you didn't know? Boy, um, 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's it's so stuffed with factoids because it is so like I had to just just polish everything down to a diamond to make those entries fit, uh, you know, to, to fit the 50 the 50 format thing. Um, boy, I, I can't think of much off the top of my head. Uh, I found it interesting getting the tours absolutely straight. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, and learning more about Malcolm and, and, uh, you know, not being on that, uh, that 88 tour, like I, I forgotten things. That's, that's the thing that happens with these bands, right? People ask me, uh, did you know that? Right. And it's, and I have this wishy-washy answer when I'm trying to answer somebody in Facebook or whatever it's because half the time it's things I know. And then I forgot them and I might've known them again for a yeah. few years. And then I forgot them again. So, uh, so it's like, yeah, I guess I knew that at one point, but I think I've forgotten. So, uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, get, getting the tour straight, interesting to see when there were big lapses and why kind of things along the way. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah, nothing, nothing to think of off the top of my head. So real quick, cause you just sparked something in my head. That 88 tour that Malcolm didn't play, who replaced him for that? Was it was it the cousin that played rhythm guitar? Who yeah, played? it was Stevie, right? And I can't even remember how long it was for now. Because um, they didn't yeah. really like, talk about it, right? Because he looked so like him, right? Didn't yeah. they just kind of do it and hopefully no one really noticed type of thing from what I remember? And, you know, then I'm, I'm glad that a lot of people agree with me. Like, for some reason, that Rocker Bust album just did not, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I was just like, did not like the songs on it, right? I love the first single, Play Ball. I thought, oh, this is great. It's going to be a great album. Then I get the album. It's like, don't like that one. Don't like that one. Don't like that one. Because I love Black Ice. I thought, I thought it was stuffed with a lot of great stuff. It was long. Um, but, you know, I thought three quarters of it. I really like the songs, but rocker bus something. About, and then the production was kind of screechy and distorted. Um, yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I, I don't know why that, that one rubbed me the wrong way. And then fortunately power up was pretty good. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Power up was definitely classic, classic ACDC. I always joke around. I'm like, I don't, I always say to people like, I don't want Slayer in my ACDC. You know what I mean? Like I, I like ACDC just being ACDC, you know, like, you know what you're getting when you, when you're listening to a record, I'm really curious about this because you've reviewed so many records, right, over time. How much time do you put into listening to a record? Is it something where you just listen to it once and you're like, I don't like it? Do you have to put yourself in a frame of mind? I like doing that where I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to, you know, I don't know, I'm going to listen to the new Mastodon, but I'm going to get into that frame of mind to listen to them. I can't be listening to other stuff when I try to listen to that. So, do you have a specific way you listen to a record? Like, do you give it a couple spins through chances wise, or do you know right off the bat, like, I don't like this record? Like, what, how do you go about doing that? It's funny. You know, if you think about it, I mean, the bands that you know so well, you know, I, 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 I could probably write an accurate review on a band's new album that I know the band so well without playing it at all wow. like you could you could probably look at the look at the song titles and the cover and who produced it and know exactly what it's going to sound like that's happened to me so many times where you know i haven't written a review like that but right but i i definitely have written reviews many 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 times where i've played an album like one eighth of a time right where, where you literally just you play 20 seconds of each song. Okay. I absolutely got this. Right. Yeah. And, and literally to the point, you know, I've had this discussion with people lately that I don't know what's going on with me in music these days, but there are albums that I've played recently 
by bands I've loved my whole life where I go, this is the best album this band has ever made. And I don't need to ever hear it again. Like, it's like absolutely as good as anything they've ever done. And that annoys me to, to no end for some reason. And I predicted exactly what the entire thing was going to sound like and everything's great about it. And then in my, in the back of my mind, I, I know that nobody's going to have a consensus on it. Some people are going to say it's crap, but I've, I've like argued that this is, this is as good as this band could ever and will ever be. Um, and yet we don't play the records nearly as much as we did when we were kids. Right. They're just, it's just so much music all the time that it's just, it's just, uh, you know, consumable and uh, disposable uh, in some way yet. How can I be saying this Uri Heap album, for example, or this Megadeth album? I've, I've argued this in, in video shows about both those records. Right. I, I've, I've said, I've said, you know, it, parachute this album into the middle of, um, you know, parachute a, a, uh, a 2000s Motorhead album right between Overkill and Ace of Spades. And I know the 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 twenty year old me will say every single one of these songs is better than every single song on Overkill or Ace of Spades. It's it's an unfair thing to do because of production techniques and and how you know heaviness evolves and things get better. But um, it's just this weird thing where it's like I can convince myself that this is the greatest album these guys have ever done, and I never need to listen to it ever again in my whole life. You know, it just has no no use for me in the world. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. No, nah, it's interesting. I, I, I do agree with you on the consumable part. I feel like there's there's so much music to be listened to because everybody's just putting out stuff like crazy. It's like, how do you appreciate? Like when we were younger, it was a lot easier to appreciate stuff. I think also because of like streaming sites and things like that, like everything's at the palm of your hands where, you know, I remember being a kid was like, all right, son, mow the lawn. And if you mow the lawn, like you, you get, you'll get an allowance and I'll take you to the record store. And then you go in the record store and you're like, all right, am I going to get Iron Maiden Killers? Am I going to get Diary of a Madman? Am I going to get, you know, and you actually had to physically make a choice. Maybe it was the album cover. Maybe you never even heard a single off the new record yet. But nowadays it's like, if I want to just listen to something, I can just click a button. And I think that kind of takes away the mystique, obviously, but I don't think we fall in love with the music and the records as much as we used to for those reasons. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, I, I agree. But maybe maybe a 16 year old today still does. Right. Maybe maybe they still take an album in to the total fiber. There be Although let's let's not go down the road of how albums are gone. And it's basically about songs now. Right. 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 You know, people release songs and it's it's just much more chaos. Right. But uh, yeah, you're right. And then and then you had the buddy who was like he he's the. Uh, you know, he's the sabotage guy and he's the volume four guy. He bought volume four. He's the he's the only one of our friend group that owns that. So he's the guy that champions that and says it's the greatest Sabbath album. And and there's the paranoid guy over there. And uh, yeah, you're right. And and uh, and and an album came out and it was an event. And then you read reviews on it and it, and it lasted for a while. And, and there were and there was like one twentieth the amount of things or one one hundredth the amount of things coming out at any given time as well. Right. And you had to pay money for it. Yeah. Now now it's it's just your spotify uh you know monthly amount right and that's so true right because it, I, I think it put more value on it when you had to pay money for it right i mean i always had the rule when i was a kid where i had to have it was a two song rule so i had to like two songs off the record before i would put 
down enough money to buy the record. Because when I started out, there was a lot of back catalog for me, right? So I'd get into Kiss, and I'm like, all right, which Kiss record am I going to get this week? Hotter Than Hell is my favorite Kiss record, right? Production's atrocious, but I just love that record. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna. I got Hotter Than Hell. I'm like, okay, what am I going to get? Like, all right, I already have a live. Like, when I'm getting in the Kiss, it's the mid to late '80s. So it's like, okay, do I get Destroyer? Do I get Rock and Roll Over? Do I take a chance on Hot in the Shade? Like, decisions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where's your hard-earned money going to go compared to now, where it's like, I can take the rest of the day and listen to Kiss's whole discography on Spotify. Yeah, which is crazy, man. It's it's absolutely crazy. Um. What are you working on now? I, I, with all the books you've written, I'm assuming you're working on something new. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's the next project you got? Yeah, so I've been, uh, I've been doing these panel books with, uh, you know, because with this publisher, actually, interestingly enough, I had this whole series called Album by Album, where I, where I got, you know, as, as celebrity as I could get and, and you know, experts on bands. And we did, uh, I basically interviewed people uh, and did a Q and a on every single studio album by rush queen, ACDC maiden. There's another one or two in there. Pink Floyd. We did one on. Um, so I started doing that, that, that publisher has discontinued that whole thing. And I started doing a similar thing with my UK publisher. So we've got, we've got one on the cure coming out, uh, soon. And then, uh, and then a King Crimson one as well. Um, and then, yeah, got, uh, through this, through the same publisher so it's going to look like the acdc at 50 and the bowie at 75 and then we just also just recently through this publisher we had um pink floyd dark side of the moon 50 years come out came in nice. a slip box with a die cut for the you know the prism and all that stuff um and um and and uh kiss at 50 um which i've finished and um you know that that just got announced last week so it's going to be a similar sort of thing as well so and then and then like the pink floyd 50th anniversary this publisher at the same time is also thinking about albums that came out 50 years ago so i've got a uh the who quadrophenia one coming up oh wonderful hey let me ask you this you don't have to answer it if you don't want to is there any book that you've had to write that you didn't really want to write about a band or is everything no, just love, I've, like... I've, I've had books that I've gotten into and they've gotten boring and it turned out to be a slog to get through it or, right. or there were difficulties doing it. But uh, no, not not really. I, I, you know, to actually say yes to doing a book, you really got to want to do it because it is it is a lot of work. It's a month or two, you know, in hours um, to do. Right. Maybe not two, two, two months in hours. But um, so, yeah, I, I get suggestions all the time and it's like. I'm almost thinking in the back of my mind, how dare you suggest, uh, you know, me to write a book on something because you don't know me. You aren't in my head. Right. I have so many reasons not to. It's it's the same. It's the same thing that goes into like, um, here's a topic for your history and five songs podcast or, or your contrarians video show or going on with Peter or whatever. People don't know the myriad reasons why we can't do that. A, we did it already. B, I've talked about you know, black Sabbath, heaven and hell way too many times. I can't do it even another way right. somewhere else. Um, so there's so many reasons not to want to do a book on a band. Um, but now at 115 books, like it, it also, you know, I I've like written two or three books on a band. And even if another one gets proposed, like I've turned down books that I would have liked to write, but it's like, Oh man, I'm so burnt out on those guys. I I just can't do it, or I can't do it because I already have one with the other publisher, and I don't want them to compete. 
Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a million reasons not to do a book on a band, but uh, only a very few, um, you know, can, that can get through all those reasons. And it's like, yeah, I'd like to do it. So do you get pushed on um, any newer bands for, for book writing or does it seem like most of the stuff is just the classic stuff? Like, is there a, you know, a newer band you're like, the, the point is, is that um, I'm old and, and out of date and obsolete. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there aren't a lot of new bands that I feel like I'm an expert on. So you want to have that confidence level that you're an expert on that band. Right. Um, so there's not too many that I would do. Um, it, it, it was nice doing something like, for example, this The Cure book, right? I, I don't think I'm an expert enough on The Cure to have done that myself. But the cool thing is, is I'm just the narrator asking people. I, I'm just asking my panel and learning about The Cure as I go along. You know, I, I do a fair bit anyways, but uh, it's neat. It's neat doing a book where uh, there's some collaboration with with these other people as well. But, you know, I, I just feel like... Um, I just feel like as time goes on, there's going to be people that are super enthusiastic about writing that Marillion book or that dream theater book. And they've happened and they're huge, big, thick books. Right. Um, so so these books will happen on these bands uh, over, you know, but but it, it takes somebody to have the fire to want to write on that band. Absolutely. And, and, and by writing the cure book, did you find yourself liking the band more? as you were writing them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's one of the great things about it. I mean, they're telling you things that, that you just, you know, you get off that zoom call or phone call and it's like, I got to play that and hear what he's talking about. What, what do you mean? That's the greatest bridge ever written by anybody. Right. It's like, I don't even know the song. Now I got to go hear this. Right. And then, yeah, then you agree or disagree or whatever. Right. But absolutely. Um, and that's, and that's the great thing about doing these books. I mean, I've often said that writing all these books is, is basically serving the function of a DJ, right? You're, you, you're someone who wants to recommend music to people, right? So a DJ has that, had that very specific thing that he can say a couple of quick things and then he's going to play it for you. Right. And then you and your buddies, I mean, you play DJ with each other and you play things for people and it's great. You stand back, cross your arms and go, isn't that cool? Right. Right. But you know, the book writer guy gets to talk about it at length, right? And and really talk them into it. And he doesn't have that thing where he can play it for someone, right? And then I've got my podcast where you've got the 30-second clips that you you can play for people. And sometimes you wish you could do more, but in these impatient times, 30 seconds is usually enough. Um, but yeah, so there, that's me just talking uh, about stuff and convincing people. And we've got all these video shows. So, uh, so yeah, that that's the cool thing. Uh, I, I get, I get, you know, th this panel feeds me information the way, you know, I'm feeding people information when I'm writing these books. I, I just want to turn people on to that band, and and I get to, uh, you know, you know, not even in real time. You know, it's not live. I, I get to I get to get my thoughts down that make me look really super smart because I because I it's not live, right? And I can change it and move it around and, and until it reads like something you know super literary or, or whatever, <laughs> right? Um. So yeah, that that's the satisfying thing about this is just turning people on to music. Yeah, you know, it's the reason I do my podcast. Same thing. I, I love being able to do that, and I think there's that void between not having record stores anymore, not being able to talk to the record store guy, right? You know, yeah. the guy behind the counter and, yeah. hey, what are you listening to? Oh, you should listen to this instead of that, those type of things. Yeah. You know, when you get older, 
you know, your friend group isn't the same as when you're younger where like your time was dispensable and, you know, all your friends were turning you on to new bands. I remember the first time I heard Primus was through a friend and all these different type of bands. And I think that's missing. So having a guy like you, having podcasts, having things out there, I think kind of fills that void a little bit. Um, let's tell the listeners real quick where they can find the book. And, and I don't know if it's, it's, if it's a Kindle thing, but I'm telling my listeners right now, do not buy it if it's a Kindle thing. Go out and buy the real deal. I mean, you want to hold this book in your hand. You want to go through the pages. It's just a visual explosion of how cool it is. You will be immersed in this book. I promise you that. So let my listeners know where they could, where they could pick up the book. Yeah, so it's it's at all the major outlets with this publisher. This is a big, you know, professional U.S. publisher. But um, like I say, uh, martinpopoff.com, there's a full description there. There's PayPal buttons for Canada, International, America. I sign them all and ship them out of the, of my office here in Toronto. Um, so, yeah, and anything that's in print you can get from me. Um, there's usually, you know, we could save a little postage if you're getting two or three different things or whatever, assign it to whoever you want, all that kind of stuff. And, and you're right, this you know, I do have many, many books that are out on ebook. Um, but you know, the, this is literally a coffee table book. This is, this is the type of book that's a visual thing, right? So it's, it is the kind of uh, book out of all the different categories that, you know, you might want a physical of. Oh, I completely agree with you. And then, so if people go to your website, can they purchase some of your other books and you'll sign them too? Oh yeah. It's all listed all the way down out of the 115 books. There's probably, um, 80 of them are in print. Wow, that's um, impressive. So yeah, there's there's a there's a supply of everything that I have here, and uh, and you know I, I I don't think the shipping's particularly unreasonable because I I have use of U.S. media mail to get this stuff. It's a long story, but I've got a mailing house that that works with that kind of thing. So yeah, I'll I'll sign whatever anybody wants me to sign and uh, fire them off uh, fairly quick. That's amazing. Um, such a joy talking to you. I, I love talking music. And, and like I said, you're that encyclopedia. I've read a lot of your stuff. I, I really appreciate what you do for the hard rock and metal community. Um, is there anything you want to add before I let you go? Not particularly. I, I, th I think we more or less covered everything. But uh, yeah, we just uh, we just all need to keep keep at it and uh, keep keep this music alive because uh, there's a there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of competing entertainment sources that aren't even music that's competing with this stuff. But it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's funny. We just have to uh, keep talking about it and keep treating it seriously, I guess. No, I agree. And I really appreciate the time you gave me today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation, my friend. Have a wonderful day. OK, Very cool, Eric. Yes. Thank you. 